we need to, to start to normalize a conversation around failure uh, and start to, to reduce some of that stigma, take that, that sting away from it um, to allow our kids and allow ourselves as well to, to understand that failure is a really normal part of life. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With automated self-grading quizzes after every video, My Study Series ensures students receive immediate feedback on their level of understanding. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 54 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log, where you're able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PLD when you need it most. I'm your host, Carl Condoliff, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Celia Flip. Celia, what's new on the Sunshine Coast? Uh, well, yet again, second week in a row, a Sunday has not been a sunshine day, um, but... but um, this is not good advertising for the Kapiti Coast, is it? But uh, it has been a fab weekend, I have to say. I feel like I've had a very good balance of uh, holder in terms of spending time with family and friends and getting outside and, and, and being active. I had to get a bit of work done today. Um, but, yeah, no, it's been, it's been very good. Sounds like a pretty productive weekend. So this week's episode is with Chris Desmond. Um, and Chris runs a really popular and long-standing podcast called Uncomfortable Is Okay, which, as it suggests, is all about getting uncomfortable. So, Carl, that made me think, when was the last time that you were in that position of feeling uncomfortable? Funny, funny you should say that, Celia. Um, this weekend, I got well out of my comfort zone. Uh, and, you know, the theme of this episode is about uncomfortable being uncomfortable, failing, all those sorts of things, growth mindset. And my wife is a, is a really avid CrossFitter, and I am not an avid CrossFitter by any means. Um, my thing is going to the gym and lifting really heavy weights, and I don't run anywhere. I walk everywhere. Um, running is not my thing. Functional fitness is not my thing. But my wife and I entered this intermediate and beginner CrossFit competition, um, and I've been dreading it for months and, and we had this competition on Saturday and it was just so confronting for me. Uh, there was a lot of people there. There were 56 teams, um, lots of spectators. Um, it was a really big event and I had to go out there and perform and do skills that I hadn't done before and do skills that uh, I wasn't confident with. Um, and we went out and we did this first event, which was consisted of double unders and wall balls. And I thought I'd be okay, but I failed miserably. Um, I had to rest a lot. I, I couldn't double under to save myself. I managed to get through it all, though. And we finished 26th um, after that event. And I was able to reframe a little bit, reframe things and, and look at things from a different perspective. Um, and we managed to recover and actually um, finished really well. We came fifth out of 56 teams, which was a huge achievement for me. And just reflecting on that, it was kind of... You know, I worried so much going into that, but once I was in the moment, um, I think everything just came together. So it's, it kind of taught me a lot about this need to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And, um, you know, failure is, is not something that we should really be scared of. And, and Chris talks about this a lot in the podcast. And it got me thinking about some other thing too. Celia, do you think it's our job as teachers or educators to be promoting this idea of failure or failing with our students? Yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. And, and the podcast did provoke um, a lot of thinking for me around this idea of um, teaching, teaching failure. And I couldn't help but think that it just doesn't 
quite sit right with me if that's perhaps the language that we use. I don't know how that might come across with young people and, and teenagers, especially if we're, if we're thinking about, um, you know, the secondary age kids that, that you and I teach. And, uh, and also, yeah, I don't know, there were just a lot of things that didn't quite sit right. And so I was thinking, well, what is it instead? Because I get where the intent is. And so I wondered whether it was about teaching our young people how they might measure success dif differently. And so often we get very um, bogged down in success being purely outcome orientated. And, um, and sometimes those outcomes are beyond our control. But if we can look at the success of the process or success in terms of what learning took place during whatever it was that we were trying to achieve. I think that if we can start um, broadening that idea of what success is and isn't, then that kind of, for me, is perhaps how it sits a little bit better. I think, I think you've got a really fair point. And one thing that stood out for me and what you just said then was this idea of what constitutes success. And in education, we tend to measure every single student with the same yardstick. And we have this not achieved, achieved merit excellence grading. And, well, what's to say that little Jimmy, who has been not achieved for the last two years, manages to get an achieved, which in um, the view of the grade is not as good as the result as somebody who got excellence. But that journey of little Jimmy from getting to not achieved um, to achieve is, is actually massive success. And I think that's one of the issues that we have with that current, um, the wording of, of those grades in our current system. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I th yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember um, when I was teaching and I came across, you know, um, the whole growth mindset in Carol Dweck and, um, and that comes up in this podcast as well. And um, I started, you know, it completely changed how I was um, talking with kids about um, their, their work. And it was that whole idea of not achieved yet, you know, and yet became a really strong and powerful piece of vocab. Um, and, and so again, I think it's that, you know, again, we have to be careful with that idea of failure. I think that failure, we have to make sure that that's not seen as anything fixed, but as that it's just, um, we haven't quite got there yet, or perhaps we haven't got quite the, the success that we were looking for yet, but, but there might've been other successes along the way. Yeah, and I mentioned during the episode a, a really practical example of um, Matt Lambert from Hiratonga College and how they have a, um, a unit on failure where the teachers um, set a really high goal for themselves um, unrelated to anything they're good at and they document their journey from um, not being able to do the skill to eventually hope, hopefully being successful at that skill. And I thought that was a really interesting take on this whole concept of teaching failure or promoting failure with our students. But that's probably less about failure. It's more about the journey of going from um, being unable to do something to having success or partial success in that skill that they've chosen. So that's um, kind of along those lines. But what resonated most with you during the episode? Um, I think it was just just that it got me thinking so much about um, yeah perhaps the, the the language that we're using and yeah for me in, in that kind of um, that example as well made me think that tension between teaching kids perhaps that failure is okay but at the same time promoting that idea of you know excellence and personal best and and so um, I don't know. I think it very much, it very much comes down to um, to, to attitude. There was um, there was one little thing that he spoke about that Chris spoke about, which was um, uh, do what you enjoy, uh, then you're less likely to quit when it gets hard. And and I think about so many of the lessons that our young people learn in sport 
um, and sport is probably something that they are less likely to to quit when they do perhaps experience failure or setback or if things get hard because they do enjoy it so much and in, in, on the most part um, but yeah I thought that was that was a good good thing to point out and good perhaps analogy to to make for our kids as well Chris welcome to the podcast thanks Carl uh, thanks so much for having me no, it's my pleasure, mate. I'm looking forward to this chat. Hey, before we get started, can you tell us tell us a bit about your background? Because you're not a teacher, and, and I usually actually you're you're like the first who I would um, categorise as being a bit of an influencer that I've had on the podcast. So tell us a bit about your background, what you do, and how you help people grow and develop. Ah, oh, thanks. Uh, and yeah, thanks for calling me an influencer. Uh, probably influence maybe a couple of people that's about it um so i'm a i'm a 36 year old dude sorry i had to think about that for a little bit i had my birthday just a week or two ago uh 36 year old dude lives in wellington at the moment with my wife and and our young son uh i i do a few different things actually uh, my day job, I work as a physiotherapist uh, and have done for about the last 13 years or so. Uh, I also have a Master's of Management degree and do a little bit of management within the rehabilitation company that I work for. Uh, but outside of that, I run a podcast called Uncomfortable is Okay, which is basically looking to explore how we get better at doing hard things and doing the hard things that make life exciting, but also doing the hard things that life just has a tendency to throw at us uh, when we're kind of least expecting it. Uh, and I've been running that for about three and a half years now, and we're two hundred and sixty something episodes deep. Uh, so it's been a it's been a fun opportunity to have a to have a whole lot of conversations with pretty awesome people uh, all about taking on challenges and, and figuring out how to do hard things uh, and alongside that as well I uh, do some coaching and some training and run some workshops with people about building resilience uh, taking on challenges and kind of in in that area so that's a that's a huge effort with your podcast what what really brought about the uncomfortable is okay podcast was there was there a particular event that kind of set you down that path or was it a more natural evolution from say some of the common conversations you found yourself having good question uh there was there was no kind of one big event that that set me on this path um i'll give you a little bit of uh a little bit of context so if we kind of go back to, I went to university to study physiotherapy um, and decided on physio because I kind of figured that I was never going to make it as a professional athlete. Uh, so I still kind of wanted to be involved in sport and went to, to Otago, did my degree down there and then came up to Wellington and, and started work. And for some reason I had it in my head that you work hard at school, you work hard at university, then you get a job and that's you for kind of the next 40 or 50 years or however long until you retire. And I'm still not 100% sure exactly why I thought that. But I got into this pattern of going to work, uh, playing some sports, hanging out with mates and partying and just sort of rinse and repeat on that. And there's nothing wrong and with that in and of itself, but that kind of dragged on for a couple of years and, and left me feeling sort of unhappy, unhealthy and, and pretty unfulfilled. And I'd had a couple of injuries in that time as well, so I wasn't playing playing sport anymore either. Um, and then I kind of got thinking, I was like, ah, oh, I'm just, I'm really not liking where I'm at with things at the moment. And started to think back about when was I the most engaged in life? And the times that I was were really when I was taking on a challenge, when I was going through something. So I started to I started to push myself a little bit more. Um, and I'd, I think I'd been using those injuries as an excuse that healed up so I could 
the first thing that I did was get back into into sport and uh, and into physical activity and started to push myself a little bit that way. And then I started to take on a little bit more responsibility at work, which was cool, but it was really hard because I hadn't done anything like that for a while. Uh, I hadn't been training myself to uh, to do hard stuff and, and get uncomfortable. So from there, I was like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I don't want to sit in a clinic room for the rest of my life either. So what I what I did is I started looking around for some other challenges that I could take on uh, and tried a little bit of online business stuff, selling selling some products, and it wasn't really something that floated my boat. Uh, and then I decided naively that, hey, maybe I want to get into management. And so, as I mentioned before, I did a Master's of Management degree which was super fascinating, but also probably uh, made me realize that I don't want to be a middle-level manager uh, at for the rest of my life either. And then one of the cool things about that, though, was we sat down and we did some massive brainstorming about ideas for, for ventures and ideas for things that we could, uh, like businesses we could start up. And all of my ideas were pretty average, uh, to be honest, but I actually really liked the process and it really started to make me think, hey, what is it that I that I want to do? And I think the big things that came up for me is that, hey, I wanted to, I wanted to learn. I wanted to also be able to do some teaching uh, because that's something that I quite, quite enjoyed. Uh, and not just because your audience are predominantly teachers either. Um, I also wanted something that I I had creative control over and, and could take in the direction that I wanted to. And I had all this stuff in my mind. And then someone said to me one day, they were like, well, you want to do this stuff? Why don't you start a podcast? I thought that's that's really cool. And turns out it's reasonably easy to start a podcast, uh, as you'll as you'll know. Um, and I thought, well, what do I what do I want to talk about? I don't want to talk about physio because I sit in a clinic room and do that all day every day, and that's not where I want to end up. So the the topic of getting uncomfortable and getting better at doing doing those hard things that made my life fulfilling was something that I was fascinated by. So it was kind of scratching my own itch in a way in terms of asking people, hey, how do you deal with challenge? How do you go and do do this stuff? Because one of the things that I came to realize that was that there's no just one right way to do anything. There's a whole lot of different ways. Uh, and the more kind of perspectives that I can get from from different people, I can start to kind of create a framework for myself and hopefully uh, the people that listen to my podcast as well can also take the cool bits out of each conversation that I have and start to apply that to their own lives as well. So that was kind of a long-winded way about how it got started, but it was a, it has been a bit of a slow burn over time to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, that's I love how you mentioned you know, you, you enjoyed the process and then you mentioned learning, teaching and creative control in that order, learning first, because I think that is when I think about my podcast, it, it all stems from the ability to learn as opposed to maybe, uh, for example, I like to share stories. That's kind of the premise of the podcast. But before all of that happens for me, it's about the learning that I take from the people that I, I have on this show. And the fact that you're talking about creating this framework for yourself that then you can pass on to your listeners is, is really powerful. Would you say that that's the driving force of your podcast to learn and build that framework so you can just keep developing as an individual? Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the underlying thing that it is, it is really to, to scratch my own itch in terms of, hey, how do I, how do I grow? Um, and that was something that going back to university uh, made me realize that actually I love the learning process. I've gone away from it for a while and that actually um, 
being able to identify people that I wanted to learn from and, and, and go and ask them questions that I was curious about so that I could sort of slowly build build my skill set and build my abilities. Um, that, that's that been kind of the underlying thing the whole way through, I think. I guess build it in a direction that you want. Like that's the frustrating thing about education for me is that we, we bring in all of these kids and we group them by age group and we say, here is the small set of information that you're allowed to learn at this time in your life. And for me, when I was at school, that just, that just didn't work. And now I find myself where you've got the whole world and all of these experts and, and all of this information out there that you can just pick and choose what you want to learn. And I guess that's very similar to this whole approach to podcasting is that you find a guest that you want and you research about them and you um, think about how they can add value to yourself and your audience. And that's, I guess that's what I really like about podcasting. And I think that um, that comes through in a lot of the episodes that you have in your podcast. I mean, you're 260 odd episodes deep. So you, you are far further down this path than I am. Um, challenging, do you think? Has it been really hard to, to maintain and keep going? At times, um, yeah, at, at times it has been it has been difficult. There's been things that have that have come up, and and sometimes I kind of I'll, I'll miss the schedule for uh, a week or so. Uh, but I really I really enjoy it, uh, and that is that's that's been something that has made it easy to come back to when mm. things haven't quite gone to plan. Um, I think like the probably the the time that it was the most difficult was when my son was born. Uh, that I had all these kind of grandiose plans of just putting a whole lot of episodes in the bank so that and recording with a whole lot of people before he arrived, uh, so I could just I could just kind of push them out and not have to worry about it for a couple of months. Um, but unfortunately, well. Not, not unfortunately. Unfortunately, in the scheme of podcast planning, he showed up three months early. So I hadn't <laughs> even started doing any of this recording. Mm. So we, we spent three months with him in hospital before um, he was big enough to come home with us. And that was, that was probably the hardest time to uh, the time where I questioned things the most about keeping on going. Um, but I think in at the end of the day it's it's made things it's made things str- stronger i took a couple of weeks off at that point there um and then what i what i did is rather than organizing an interview episode every week i did a an interview one one week and then i did a kind of a short solo episode the next week to to create a little bit more space for my, for myself and kept that rolling for sort of 6 months or so i guess and then I got to a point where I kind of figured out, okay, this is the timing of, and this is what I need to do to be a dad. I was like, do I keep going with this podcast schedule? And one, like one of the things that I thought was, there's way too many interesting people out there that I want to talk to. <laughs> I need to go back to doing it once a week. So <laughs> um, it was it was kind of selfish to to get back into it. But that was that was the hardest uh, time to keep going. And I read a really interesting quote actually that ties in quite well, and I'll probably butcher this, but it's um, find something that you really enjoy doing and it, that doesn't make the process any less hard for you. It just means that you're less likely to give it up when it does get hard. I like that. Do you, can you recall the author of that? No, I can't, but I can, I'm sure I can find it for you and I can flick you, flick you a message so you can kind of link it up in the, in the show notes if you want. Yeah, that'd be good, mate. And, you know, you, you've went through that really challenging time with the birth of your son, um, but, you know, huge pat on the back for keeping the podcast going and, and I, I can't imagine what you went through, but, you know, you're coming out the other side of that now and, you, and you've and you got, uh, you know, a beautiful young boy and, and things seem to be going really well for you. So that's awesome. The theme, the theme for this podcast was kind of around that whole aspect of failure and having a growth mindset. 
Now, on the third year anniversary of your podcast, you, you put out a bit of a call for your listeners to pose some questions for you that you were going to um, respond to. And I decided to ask, how can I teach a teenager that it's okay to fail? Because so many of our students are afraid to step out of their comfort zone for, for this fear of failure. And you answered that question really, really well. And I shared it with my my audience, but I'd like to start that conversation back up and just talk about failure a little bit more. So yeah, maybe you could start by reiterating, if you can remember what you said, but how, how can we teach our youth that it's okay to fail? Because it's a massive problem right now. Yeah, it is a it is a big problem right now. I actually I had a had a bit of a flick through uh, some of the the notes that I jotted down when I was talking about that uh, before recording this one. So, like I think in in the New Zealand context, it is we we live in a pretty interesting country where you've got uh, that the tall poppy syndrome. So if you stand out, if you do something cool, then you're going to get cut cut down. But also if you try something and you don't succeed at it, then your mates or just kind of anyone is going to rip you out. And like, I don't know if you're, you're probably more up with the play with what the kids are saying these days, but uh, like when I was growing up, if you did that, you were a tryhard basically. Mm. Um, mm. So it, it was a massive kind of disincentive to, to really push yourself um one for for that feel of fear of failure but also kind of if you succeeded you get chopped down as well and i think obviously society's changed a little bit from sort of the the 90s uh when i was at high school but i think actually it's changed in a way that we're sold we're sold comfort at every turn basically that we we're marketed hey here's the things that you can do to make life easier for yourself to to make things comfortable so i was having a conversation with a dude today is that you can live your your netflix uber eats air-conditioned life um, and not do anything hard so that kind of that kind of sets us up to to shy away from from failure and from doing difficult things and like the thing about failure is it it hurts when it happens to you and when you get to kind of that that teenage years I think like you're you've stopped being a kid so you've stopped uh, going and doing all of a whole lot of new stuff um, that you basically you know that you're going to suck at to start with anyway. It's like picking up a musical instrument or learning to walk or riding a bike that you get to, to these teenage years and you're starting to, you're starting to really develop a sense of identity for yourself. Uh, and obviously your brain is still developing and your emotional, uh, all the emotional centers uh, is still developing as well. So going through these massive changes you want to you want to try and fit in so failure is is often really challenging especially at that time of life it's challenging at any time but that's the time often that it that it really does sting and as you as you'll know and as your as your listeners will know as well it's it's easy to stay back from from doing hard things it's easy to kind of sit back and let someone else do it or or try and stay within within the group or stay within um what you think is your own capacity but as i as i was talking about before that's a recipe for being unhappy unhealthy and unfulfilled and that's not how we want our kids to turn out. That's not how we want um, anyone in our society to turn out. So I think with training to get better at at failing, uh, we need to, to start to normalize a conversation around failure. 
uh, and start to to reduce some of that stigma, take that that sting away from it, um, to allow our kids and allow ourselves as well to to understand that failure is a really normal part of life, that failure is uh, something that something that happens to everyone to some extent uh, at, at some point in their life. I don't know that anyone, I don't know anyone that's gone through life uh, and hasn't failed at something. And I kind of shudder to think what that person's life would be like if I did meet someone that had gone through life and and hadn't failed at anything. What they what they would have been doing? Yeah. Um, so I think like a couple of things that that I talked about uh, in the podcast were were having having role models come in and talk about times they've they've failed to start to to normalize conversation with the kids around that and whether that's whether that's athletes whether that's musicians whether that's um just people in the community that that they look up to to say hey like i'm at a i'm at a really cool spot at the moment but here are some of the challenges that i went through here are some of the failures that i went through to get to this point and these are these are normal that I went through them, all of the other people that are at this level went through them as well. Um, so that's that's one way that I think uh, we can we can help to normalise the conversation around around failure. Uh, but if you're especially if you're a kid, um, even if you're an adult and you're looking at a role model, sometimes they seem really distant to you. That you're like, cool, I would love to be in that person's position. I'd love to be like um, Adi Savia or, or one, of, one of those guys. I'd love to be doing that stuff. But because of the disparity of where you're at at the moment compared to, um, compared to where he's at, and the reason that I mention Adi actually is he's got an awesome podcast. So if you haven't checked that out yet, you should go and have a listen. Um, nice. But bringing, yeah, bringing it back, often trying to facilitate a conversation, almost a peer-to-peer conversation in, in a group uh, is more helpful, I think, for, for normalizing the conversation around failure and reducing the stigma because you're talking with people that are at a similar level to you. So whether it's you get people to pull out kind of their favorite failure or something something small that they've failed at recently and talk about yeah talk about how it hurt but also talk about the positive points with that and talk about the things that uh, that they might have learned from it and obviously that's a that's kind of a challenging situation as well um, because we've just been talking about how people don't like to stand out from the crowd so the, I guess the trick with that one will be, figuring out obviously how to make it a safe environment but also how to to get someone to go first so it would almost be worthwhile I think um, prepping someone that you know is maybe a little bit more confident talking about this stuff to to go first to share that um, so it creates that safety for for the other people in the group yeah 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 I isn't it funny? And you you mentioned this earlier on. You know, we have this this tall poppy, and that's that's fine if you want to be that person that cuts other people down, whatever. But then on the flip side, we have these people who like to um, make fun of the people that fail. So you can't have it either way. If you you try hard and you're successful, you're going to get pulled down. If you uh, try hard and you fail, you're going to get pulled down anyway. So society is saying that you have to uh, stick in the middle, and that's the only place you can go. And it's really sad that it's been determined that you know this is the way things should operate, and you shouldn't go too far that way, or you shouldn't go too far that way because you're going to get mocked or, or whatever. I, I like what you were saying about 
the role models too, and the conversations, both of those I think are really powerful. And one story that I wanted to share with you that I heard um, on Friday was from a teacher who is their department are creating a, a unit of work around failure and the teachers lead that by uh, teaching themselves a skill that they don't know how to do yet and they document the process and they show the failure and they talk about their goal setting and how they respond to failure and their resilience and things like that. And the example that the teacher gave, who was part of this unit, his name's Matt Lambert. My audience will be really familiar with him, but he wanted to do handstand walking. So if you and if you know what Matt looks like, you'll know how that how you could how that could be such a struggle for him because he's a big solid dude. Um, looks like a, he should be playing American football. So that's a really challenging task for him. But they're role modeling that. Um, approach to failure and building resilience and I think that's so powerful around role modeling for our young people and teachers don't quite have that disparity you know to, as to say an all black would because we have really good relationships with our kids so I think that's a really good starting point for some of our teachers who might be listening is to start thinking about showing how you can bring in um, your experiences of failure into the classroom um, you talk a lot about being uncomfortable. That's obviously the title of your podcast, and we've just had a good chat about failure. But do you do you actively seek out failure in your life? Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was having a think about this one. Um, since I've started the podcast, I've I actively seek out uncomfortable experiences. I actively seek out kind of going and doing things that are that are going to make me uncomfortable and whether that uh, learning a new skill, whether that is, I mean, last year, last year, I think it was last year, uh, jumped out of a plane and went skydiving, which was, was super uncomfortable. Um, and just look to, to push my boundaries a little bit into, into that discomfort. So, I guess I, I don't specifically go and search out failure as such, um, but I go to search out opportunities where the, there's the potential that I could fail at this, um, which, is, which is quite different from what I used to be as a teenager as well, is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't push myself and I wouldn't push my boundaries uh, that in anything probably other than a physical realm, um, which as a as a kid growing up in the nineties was was pretty normal. Um, so it's more about searching for opportunities where where there's the potential that I could fail, rather than actively doing something that I know that I'm going to fail at. Sure, you don't really but want I, to jump out yeah. of a plane and, and fail jumping out <laughs> of a plane, do you? No, no, no. But I mean, there's there's kind of le- there's more low risk things that you could do, and and sometimes I think they are like going and doing something that you know that you're going to fail at is going to have massive benefits because you you're going to figure out a lot about yourself um, and how you res- one how you respond to failure but also take a whole lot of learnings away about, hey, how can I how can I go and do this differently next time? And I've had a couple of guests on on my podcast who sort of once once a year or something or so, they'll pick up a, a challenge that they know that they're going to fail at, that they know is just beyond them, just to really test themselves and, and kind of keep them keep pushing themselves forward. Mm. It's. I'll share a story with you. It's. You. You. I mean, you're familiar with track and field because you, you've done a bit of 400 meter running. But um, this is. I came to this realization one day. I, I can't remember if somebody said something to me or whether I just realized that myself. But I. So growing up, I was a high jumper, and that was my sport, and I competed at a really high level at it. But I came to the realization one day that you failed every time you high jump. You never beat the bar. The bar always beats you. And so you go into these events and you are competing for personal best. But at the end of the day, it's going to get to a point where you can't clear it. And so every week I was going out there and competing and you would end in failure. And it never really 
hit me hard, but it kind of, it almost had the opposite impact that I would have thought it would have, but it just kept me wanting more and it kept driving me to the next week of training and motivating me to train harder and harder because I wanted to fail a little bit higher than last time. So I just wanted to lift the bar more and more and more. But at the end of the day, you know, I was always failing to that bar. And I just thought that was a really interesting um, concept to consider in my sport. Yeah, that's a that's a really fascinating one, actually. And like there are there probably aren't a whole lot of sports out there that are that are like that no. as well. No. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to beat physics, eh? <laughs> do, do you mind sharing um, the last time you failed? What the, and what that was? What that involved? If you can yeah, recall. This, yeah, yeah. So the last time that I failed was uh, what's today Monday. So the last time that I failed was Saturday. Um, I was supposed to be running a workshop um, as a as a fundraiser for a charity. Uh, and myself and, and the person from the charity were pretty both pretty excited about running it. Um, so trying to get ticket sales going. And on, th- I think it was Thursday, we decided that, hey, this, like we're not getting anywhere with, with this. Like we, we just don't have the numbers to put on, put on this workshop and actually uh, make any money from it which is not ideal when mm. you're trying to do a fundraiser for a charity um so we had to we had to pull the pin on that so how do you how do you what's the process following say going through a bit of failure like that what, what's your process after that so my my process has evolved a lot i think especially in the last sort of three and a half years that i've been doing the podcast is like b- before this I would have got really down on myself and I would have seen it as something that kind of made me less of a person internally um, that I, I really would have internalized it and, and kind of beaten myself up about it but going going through multiple failures uh, in my life and kind of reframing how I think about them. I guess that the first person of the first point is just to recognize that, Hey, this failure doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. That actually this is, this is normal that things didn't go to plan. Um, It's not because I'm a dick or people don't like me that, that this has gone this way. Um, so kind of understanding, understanding that, and that can be really challenging to, um, to kind of frame for yourself, especially when you're doing something that you have a lot invested in, that you're doing Mm -hmm. something for yourself. Um, like, like with the podcast, if you get some bad feedback on it, you're like, Oh, people don't like me. Um, which they may or may not. Uh, that's kind of by the by. So understanding that, yeah, uh, this doesn't this doesn't make me a bad person. This is just uh, a data point that this didn't work at the moment. And then from from that point is sitting down and and reviewing what happened. Is like so what happened here why why didn't things go to plan uh and what we were so kind of to to use the example that we're talking about um we were trying to fill up uh, a room with 30 people to uh to do a workshop um and i like You've you've run a few workshops, Carl, in your ter- time, and you'll know how it's much hard, work ne- so needs hard. to happen to yeah to get people to come into a room. So if you want thirty people uh, to be in the room, you need to kind of have conversations with anywhere probably between a hundred and two hundred and fifty people to get people along. And 
I'd kind of taken a little bit of a back seat in terms of in terms of the marketing and selling selling this, and like we had, we just hadn't had those conversations with people, mm-hmm. so it wasn't particularly surprising that we didn't we didn't fill up a room. So understanding kind of why things went the way that they did, and then I guess once you once you understand why they went the way they did, actually having a look and and seeing what could I do better next time? Um, and if you want to take the same same approach to whatever it is you're doing, then that's great. But like, how do you streamline it? How do you, how do I kind of change the way that I, that I do things? Um, or actually, is there a different approach that I could do to, to get to a different outcome? So, I mean, again, using this workshop as an example that, like next time we did it, if we wanted to run it as a public workshop, then just making sure that we went out and had a hundred to two hundred and fifty conversations with people so that we got people in a room. Or could we frame it a different way and say, Hey, we want thirty people in a room. Actually, a couple of people that did buy tickets were from big businesses. Why don't we go and talk to them and say I know you're keen to support the charity. How about we uh, we sit down with you and figure out what problems we can solve for your staff uh, and we get 30 of your staff to come in and sit in a room. So rather than going and having 250 conversations, uh, we're going and having two or three conversations to, to fill up the same room and, and get support for this charity. Uh, so once you once you know why things went wrong, then you can figure out a plan for the future uh, that makes you less likely to fail next time. And what you've really just moved on to there is this this approach called growth mindset. And you touched on this in that original question that we posed for your third year anniversary. But this idea of growth mindset, it's getting really big in education and I hear lots of positives and some not so positive things about it, but it's essentially very similar to what you just described then. Do you want to go ahead and maybe in your own words, explain to my audience what your opinion or what your your definition of a growth mindset is and maybe talk about how that features in your life? Mm, yeah, so... I guess, um, I mean, I've, I've read Carol Dweck's book, uh, Mindset, so, and, and it was, I really enjoyed it, but I think for me, the, the growth mindset is having an understanding that your, your skills, your traits, your abilities aren't set in stone, that they with with training uh with persistence with um kind of specific hard work that they can improve that you can you can build them uh and you can you can get better at at doing a whole raft of things which completely makes sense to me in terms of kind of coming from a, a physical background where I played a lot of sport. Um, as you mentioned, I did, I did some track and field. I work as a physio, so I kind of I understand the, the physical training uh, of the body that, hey, actually with physical training you can improve. It's really similar to a growth mindset for your uh, for your skills, for your abilities, for your your personality traits, with training, you can you can change these. These can these can adapt. You can dr- grow. Uh, you can kind of move in in different directions that you want to. And I think with um, maybe some of the negative stuff that people kind of pull out about growth mindset is that. Um, it's kind of it's a little bit sort of woo woo. It's the it's the the Tony Robbins, um, and I quite like Tony Robbins, by the way. Um, it's <laughs> Tony Robbins. If you can if you can uh, imagine it, then you can achieve it, um, mm. which isn't which isn't always the case. That I mean, you, you 
you're still probably going to uh, hit a capability cap at some point, no matter how hard you train. So like for, for me, I would uh, like, I think like no matter how hard I trained, I would never be someone that would be able to make the NBA or, um, or I'd never be able to be someone who would win an Olympic gold medal in the hundred meter sprint or the, or any of the, the athletic endeavors just because my, my physical capacity isn't at that point, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't train because I will be able to improve. So I think, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the, the negative things that people pull out about, about growth mindset. I mean, what, what other ones have you heard? Oh, it, it really stems from um, just a little bit of feedback I read recently that uh, in education, we are approaching this whole idea of growth mindset incorrectly and we're not prepared to teach. We're not prepared to teach it uh, effectively and what that's going to happen is there's going to be a bit of a pushback um, with growth mindset. So basically a growth mindset expert has come out and said that it'll be gone in a couple of years and it won't feature in our curriculum Anywhere, which I think is, I'm not too convinced about that. Maybe, yes, we, we're not prepared in a, as teachers to teach this effectively, but I, I, I just don't know how much there is to it, to be honest. It's, it's like you describe, it's about understanding that um, your capabilities and your skills are not fixed and you have the potential to grow them. So it's just building in the mindset and the understanding that you can do that. And one of the, one of the funny things when I first heard this idea of a growth mindset, this is another sporting story for you, is I, I recall being a basketball player at high school and because I was a high jumper, I could jump really high and I could slam dunk a ball in year nine. And I recall my peers saying to me, yeah, but you you train for that, so it's not natural, so it doesn't count. And I just remember being like completely perplexed by this, going, how could you give more value to somebody naturally being able to perform um, a skill movement than somebody who had worked their ass off for it because they knew they couldn't do it and they wanted to be able to do it? And just those two contrasting uh, mindsets really blew my mind. Um, so that's kind of summed up for me when I first heard this term growth mindset was like, wow, this is, this stuff's really powerful. Um, and it's something that I've kind of considered since I, I first heard the term and read Carol Dweck's book. Um, and I know she talks about one thing I like, and I had, I had listed this as the next question for you was this idea of, um, being a hybrid of both growth and fixed mindset. And I, I felt I had some aspects of my life that were where, where I was demonstrating a fixed mindset. And when I considered that and I applied some of the learnings that I had around this concept, um, I realized that, sure, you can be a hybrid of both. But again, you have this capability to change that fixed approach into, into a growth approach just by being open to learning and developing and setting your targets and goals and just working really hard, to be honest. Mm, exactly and I like I, I feel the same way as well is that like there were there were areas that I was operating uh like from a from a physical perspective uh, perspective I, I guess I've always had a growth mindset um probably more from maybe uh an, an emotional perspective that was um and kind of working on relationships that was an area that I that I probably adopted a fixed mindset for much longer than I needed to but I think once you identify hey I'm I'm, I'm displaying some fixed mindset behavior in these areas then you can look to start to to address them and some areas are going to be a whole lot harder to to work on than others um, partially because I, I think you probably have less capacity in some areas but also because you've never trained that area, like as young males growing up in the eighties and nineties in New Zealand, we weren't really encouraged to um, 
to talk about our emotions that much. Um, so mm. that that's something that I've been working on a whole lot uh, lately, but I'm still way less comfortable with it than I would be going out and doing something physical. Yeah, and that's that's where a lot of my confusion came from, like being um, a competent athlete in a number of disciplines. I I had I had this honest belief in myself that no matter what I put my mind to on the sporting field, I could achieve it. But my frustration starting to come through, they started to appear when I tried to leverage these skills that I had into something like making additional income outside of my nine to five. And I used to sit there because I kind of had this, I, I always had an entrepreneurial kind of side to me, but I just never knew how to really action it. And it would frustrate me because I could, like I, I wanted to dunk a ball. I go out and teach myself how to dunk a ball. Um, I wanted to clear two meters in the high jump. That I set my goals and I got there. Um, I wanted to start a podcast. You know, I, I have all these skills and I understand how to implement them. But this whole idea of um, earning additional money outside of your nine to five just perplexed me. And but in the end, it all came down to just um, finding the right people to support me, going out there and learning by trial and error and just putting in a ton of action just action 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 and learn and grow and develop and i eventually got there um so it, it's really interesting how your your mindset or your self-perception um as soon as you're able to flip that and start thinking about alternatives you can really change from you know that fixed to more of a growth mindset Definitely, mate. And I think like one of the one of the things with that as well is that especially when we when we're adults or when we're we're a bit older and we have some level of mastery in in a certain domain, then when we go and start doing something new, most of the time we're going to be rubbish when we start. Um, and because we're comparing that with how good we are at, at doing other things. Again, that, that kind of disparity is quite uncomfortable for us. And mm. we think, oh man, I am so bad at this. But you're you're no worse at it than like when you were starting out doing something else when you were younger. So like if you think of, of the, again, the sporting analogy, if we go back to that, that if you were training for, like training for high jump, that you would train for, couple of times a week I'm assuming for a good couple of hours you had a coach you had a support crew and you did that for like what over a decade I'm assuming Yeah. yeah yeah so you put in a lot of time you had a lot of people supporting you to get to that to that level and then you're starting out here by yourself um and just kind of Dipping your dip, honest. Most people go and dip their toes in the water to see if it's something that they like. And when they figure out, oh, hey, I'm not very good at this, then they'll they'll pull back away from it, even if it is something that they they have the potential to enjoy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and and that that's probably one of the most powerful things that you've said for me in this in this episode is reframing that and going well actually you know you were doing this high jump but you did it for a decade and you train four times a week and you had your coach and you had your um, team of athletes that you trained with so all that whole package and then you think about going and trying a new skill and your frustrations around that well actually that's you by yourself with no support with no expertise and nobody to help you of course, it's going to be challenging, but you have to understand that that doesn't mean you can't do it. It means that you just have to find that support, invest the time, um, and learn some new techniques. Um, so that's probably, I've never had that idea frame like that. So I do appreciate you doing that, mate. That's, um, that's my gem for this, this episode, definitely. Uh, nice. You're, you're welcome. And to be honest, it doesn't reduce the frustration no, no, of not no. being good at it straight away that much, but at least it will help you persist for a bit longer. Yeah, definitely. Now, no time's getting on and you're a busy man and you've got a young one in the house. Before we get to the last question, is there anything that I might have missed or that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? I, yeah, I, 
when you when you posed that question to me about failure, um, I I was really interested in how you think about teaching teaching failure to to teenagers. Yeah, it's it's a real interesting one, and I've, I've got my third story of the night where I I taught a kid years and years and years ago, and he. Um, he was in what was called the um, we called this classroom base one, which is where we had a lot of the children who had um, intellectual difficulties or challenges, um, and they had support staff with them. And we had this one lovely kid who had Down syndrome, and he couldn't handle losing. And so, how that would manifest as in class because they were mainstreamed at the time is somebody would give this kid the ball and he'd shoot it and he'd get it in and would celebrate that or we would pass him the ball or we would let him steal the ball off us so all he saw was success in the classroom but then we had uh, one day he turned up with this new teacher aide and this teacher aide would just not let up on him and he would steal the ball off him and he would get up in his face talking about how he was dominating him and all of this and we were like what are you doing man it's you're going a bit over the top but what his rationale was and he might he might have been slightly out of line here, but his rationale was all all this kid sees is success and everybody giving everything to him, but he needs to learn about failure. And I thought that was quite nice, but he was probably doing it in not the best way. But I think with kids, we need to as teachers, it's all about creating that safe environment and giving them an opportunity to fail in that safe environment. I think that's the most important thing. We can't expect our kids to go out there and fail, go out there and fail, and then not give them the support that they need to um, come back from that. And I think what we're seeing is there are a lot of kids out there who are experiencing failure for whatever that reason might be. It could be uh, around their perception of body image. It could be around drugs and alcohol. It could be around um, bullying and social media and stuff like that. And when they're in those scenarios, they don't have a safe environment. So to teach failure, I think it's about, first of all, creating that safe environment for our kids and then giving them the opportunities to fail within that. And it's like if you're training a sports team, um, you look at fatigue training and stuff like that where you tire out an athlete or a group of athletes or a team and then you give them some really challenging decisions to make in that. um, But it's a safe environment. They They can fail and then be able to reflect on that, but it hasn't cost them the game or the championship or something like that. So very similar in that sense, I think. That's probably my thoughts on teaching students how to fail. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and, yeah, thanks for sharing that story as well. It uh, reminded me, actually, and you'll probably appreciate this, of, of Gary V, um, yeah. who I know we both listened to, uh, playing basketball with his six-year-old son. He's like, I never let him score on me yeah. because that's that's not reality. That the day's gonna come where he where he does score. Um, but I'll I'll stop and I'll teach him like what he could do better next time. But I don't I don't let him win. No, that's good. That's good. Hey, so last question. If you were given a microphone to the world for five minutes, what would your message be? I think to to put it hopefully reasonably succinctly is that we need to to go and and choose challenge in our lives that we need to go and explore things that we're curious about that we have the potential to fail in and go and try them and realize that whether we succeed or whether we fail that we're we're going to be okay regardless of that of the outcome um maybe don't start with jumping out of a plane if that's uh if there's the potential for you to fail at that one um but but going and choosing to do hard things with the potential to to fail and to to learn from that failure is going to set you up to live a more fulfilling life I guess, guess that's kind of the the summary of the, the message that I'm trying to get out there. 
I think that's perfect. And I think that message came through throughout this episode. Um, you know, it is all about, um, well, you mentioned curiosity. I, I love that word. It's, it's such a great word for our learners to be curious about things. And when we're curious, we take up the challenges that you mentioned. Um, and I, I, I think the work that you're doing is really powerful. And, and I love your podcast. And I love the message that comes through about being uncomfortable is okay. And I think more people need to listen to some of your episodes and, and consider this whole idea of being uncomfortable and failure and things like growth mindset, which will no doubt come out in a lot of your conversations. But you're doing an awesome job. And, um, you know, I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to chat tonight and encourage you to keep pushing through the um, episode 500, I guess. Man, what are you going to do when you get that far? That's, uh, that's something to think about. Yeah, to be to be honest, I haven't I haven't even uh, contemplated episode five hundred. That's that's a couple of years down the track. But yeah, thank you for the for the kind words, mate, and um, thank you for for all the support that you have given me on on this journey as well. It's it's much appreciated. No, not a problem, and you just keep uh, keep up the good work, mate.